In John chapter 4, Jesus describes the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now for the next few minutes, stay tuned to worship in spirit and truth with Pastor Jeff Scoggin. I believe it was a U.S. Army colonel who once told me that there was a time in the Army when the suicide rate was skyrocketing. And as the Army was trying to figure out how to deal with the problem, they decided on a pretty unorthodox strategy. They called the soldiers together and they said, we have seen a disturbing number of attempted suicides that have failed. Men, you are soldiers in the United States Army. We don't do things halfway. If you're going to commit suicide, then you're going to do it right. And then the instructor proceeded to instruct them how to commit suicide Properly, He told them, if you're going to slit your wrist, don't slit it across the wrist. Take your razor blade and run it vertically from your wrist all the way to your elbow. That's the way to do it, efficiently. And he proceeded with graphic explanations on how to accomplish this terrible task in such graphic detail that the people there began to be ready to lose their breakfast. And the suicide rate in the army, I was told, plummeted. I want to try that today, in a way. The last time that I preached was on the book of Acts and what the early Christian looked like, the early Christian church looked like, and how our church today looks different. If you missed all are part of that message from last time, I would encourage you to, to listen to that online or if you need to, ask me for a CD if you don't have access to our computer. The Christian church, and our church with it, has fallen dramatically in spirituality since the early Christian church. Christians are committing slow but sure spiritual suicide. So today I want to borrow the U.S. Army's unorthodox strategy in hopes that maybe it will have the same effect. We're reading in the first letter to the Corinthians today. So I went through the book and I picked out the first ten strategies that I saw for committing spiritual suicide. The ways that the Corinthian church was committing spiritual suicide. And they were committing spiritual suicide by committing the spiritual homicide against their brothers and sisters in Christ. They were killing themselves spiritually by killing each other spiritually. The Bible says that whatever we do, we should do it with our might, right? We aren't to do things halfway. If we're going to commit spiritual suicide, let's do it right. You realize I'm being facetious, right? Are you ready to learn 10 excellent strategies for destroying a fellow Christian and with it, the Christian church? Now, are you? Okay. 
Strategy number one. A great way to destroy Christians in the Christian church is to allow divisions to grow in the church. That's what was happening in Corinth. In fact, let's read it. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in chapter 10, or verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Apparently, the Corinthians were beginning to fight among themselves over something pretty trivial. Who to follow? Now, wait a minute. Is it trivial who you follow? Of course not. But in this case, it was different. The issue was not correct doctrine. The issue, as Paul saw it, was their division and their quarreling. Paul scolded them for the way that they were acting because no matter the situation in his church, Jesus Christ wants us to live in peace and unity with each other. No matter the situation, he wants us to live in peace and unity with each other. Does that mean we can't disagree? Of course we can disagree. In fact, we should disagree sometimes or we're not thinking for ourselves. But when we disagree, we must disagree in peace and love. The first strategy for destroying a fellow brother or sister in Christ is to allow divisions to grow in the church. Strategy number two. If you want to destroy fellow believers, then be wise, know too much, and try to impress others with your wisdom. It sounds like perhaps this is what the Corinthians were doing. Verse 27 in chapter 1. Verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And then skip down to chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. It appears that the, the wise men in the, in the Corinthian church were trying to impress and persuade and argue and be right. So Paul reminds them that even he, the one who started the church in Corinth, didn't act that way. If you want to destroy a fellow brother in Christian Christ, think highly of your own knowledge and wisdom. Consider yourself, rather than the Holy Spirit, the infallible instructor of other Christians. Expect them to march to your drum. Expect them to act like you, dress like you, believe like you, have the same priorities as you. If you want to destroy a fellow believer, try to do in their lives the work reserved for the Holy Spirit. Okay, strategy number three. And for this strategy, keep in mind that we're all preachers of one sort or another. Even if you don't stand up here in front of a church, you are a preacher in your own God-given way. 
Strategy number three, to help destroy a believer, preach something besides Christ and him crucified. This is why Paul had to call the Corinthians back to their roots. Uh, Verse two that we had just skipped in chapter two. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When Paul preached, he had only one message, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, if someone had asked, Paul was full of advice on any topic. Paul had plenty of opinions on eating, on women, on divorce and remarriage, and on and on. If necessary, Paul was not afraid to directly address difficult or divisive situations, which he was doing in this letter to the Corinthians. But when it came to preaching... Paul had just one message, Christ and him crucified. At church, he wanted one thing to happen. He wanted to bring people face to face with Jesus, an encounter that could never fail to grab someone's heart. A sermon on divorce or men and women's roles or a thousand and one other necessary discussion topics does not leave someone awestruck with the glory of God. Paul did not plant a church by preaching side issues, which he was well equipped to preach if he had wanted to. He knew that the only way to build up the body of Christ was to focus his preaching on Christ. If you want to destroy your brothers or sisters in Christ, when you preach, preach peripheral religion. The good things at the edges of our faith rather than the best thing at the center of our faith which is Jesus and him crucified. Strategy number four. If you want to destroy a brother or sister in Christ, try to force feed solid food to the spiritually young. Again, Paul shames the Corinthians for their spiritual immaturity. Chapter three, verse, uh, beginning in verse one. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Growing to spiritual maturity is the work of a lifetime, which is all fine and good for ourselves but we sure wish some other people would speed it up, don't we? Jesus once told his disciples that there was so much truth that he could share with them, but he couldn't because they weren't ready to receive it. Just as no good parent tries to force a child to grow up too fast, so we should carefully care for the spiritually young. And and before we would label ourselves spiritually mature, we should remember point two, right? To consider myself spiritually mature seems like considering myself to be wise. The fact is, each one of us have different levels of spiritual maturity and immaturity even within ourselves. I know lifelong Christians, spiritually mature in many ways, but still spiritually immature in some ways. And I've also known new Christians who have come into the church who are more spiritually mature in some areas of life than long-time church leaders. Indeed, Paul says that if there is quarreling among us at all, that means we're still worldly, spiritual children. If you want to destroy a fellow believer, 
then even if he's trying to spit it out, try to force feed him your spiritual food, your religion, your version of truth, your spiritual priorities. Strategy number five. If you want to attempt to destroy a fellow Christian, consider yourself responsible for that person's morality. Paul understood that he was nothing more than just one single pawn on God's great chessboard. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. When one man says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through who you came, believe, came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, <clears throat> but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters has one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Paul understood that he played only one tiny part in leading someone into deeper spiritual maturity. The end product of a person's morality is God's responsibility. I, I just love the story of Jesus and Peter walking along with John tagging along behind and Peter, not minding his own business as usual, gestured to John and he says, he asked Jesus about him, what about him? And Jesus gently rebukes Peter, but in no uncertain terms tells Peter, you need to mind your own business. What is John to you? You take care of yourself, Peter. I'll take care of John. Consider yourself responsible for someone else's morality, and you will only hinder his spiritual growth. Now, note that I have not said that we shouldn't be concerned for another's spirituality, only that we cannot make ourselves responsible. Someone else's morality does not reflect upon me. My faithfulness reflects, reflects upon me. And in fact, in, in verses 13 to 15, uh, Paul gives us a terrifying insight into Judgment Day for those of us who consider ourselves faithful Christians. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What, it, what work is he talking about here? He's talking about the work of God. The quality of our work is going to show itself one day, and we ourselves may barely escape the wrath of God for the way that we worked in his name. If you want to destroy a brother or sister in Christ, consider his morality all your responsibility instead of God's. Strategy number six. If you want to destroy a fellow Christian, judge him. 
We all know well Jesus' statement, judge not so you won't be judged because as you judge, you will be judged. Well, Paul confirms this concept in chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, the second part of verse 4. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and then will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. And if you read on, you learn that the Corinthians were, quote, going beyond what was written. In other words, they were attempting to impose on each other traditions and opinions and beliefs that couldn't be well supported from Scripture. They relied on the wisdom of the rabbis. They relied on other holy writings. They relied on thousands of years of tradition. They relied on scholars. But Paul admonishes us to rely on sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. Otherwise, we're walking in quicksand. In matters of Christian behavior, only God has the right to judge. In 1 Corinthians 10.29, Paul even counsels us not to put ourselves into a position where we might be judged by someone else's conscience. And by the same token, our conscience is never to be measured against someone else's spiritual maturity. If someone is not openly rebelling against a clear biblical precedent, then we had better steer clear of any sort of judgment upon another. If you want to destroy a fellow Christian, judge him by some standard outside of the Bible, especially your own conscience. Strategy number seven. And this is interesting considering strategy number six. If you want to destroy a fellow Christian, don't judge him. The last strategy said judge someone if you want to destroy him. This strategy says don't judge them if you want to destroy him. After clearly exhorting the the Corinthians not to judge each other, Paul turns around and tells them that they must judge each other. What's the difference? The difference is in what is being judged. Let's read it. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. There is definitely a time when fellow Christians must judge each other. And that is when a brother or sister in Christ consistently lives in direct rebellion against a clear Biblical, thus saith the Lord. Let me repeat that sentence because it's important that we understand how narrowly this is defined. There is a time when fellow Christians must judge each other, and that is when a brother or sister in Christ is consistently living in direct rebellion against a clear biblical mandate. We may not judge someone who simply makes a mistake but is not consistently rebelling. We may not judge someone by a mandate that is not biblical, and what's more, is not unarguably biblical. You can also destroy a fellow Christian by not judging 
in the appropriate circumstance. And note that this judgment is a judgment by the church body, not a judgment by an individual. Strategy number eight, to destroy a fellow believer, associate with them while they are living in open sin. Verse 11 of chapter 5. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Paul, of course, is talking here about people who call themselves brothers or sisters, not just anyone in the world. He clarifies that later. Paul tells his divided church that they are destroying themselves and their brother by not being strict with him. We have here a situation that is clearly and unarguably a biblical mandate. I stress this clear and unarguable point because there's plenty in the Bible that is not clear and is quite arguable and we're not at liberty to judge on these matters. That is why the debate over women in ministry has gone on so long in our church. Even though people on both sides of the issue see it as clear and unarguable to themselves, the fact that other faithful Christians see it differently means that it is unclear and that it is arguable and therefore not one where we can judge each other. But in the case that sin is clear, consistent rebellion to continue to associate with our Christian or brother or sister as though nothing is wrong is really nothing more than escorting them to their eternal death. Strategy number nine. To destroy a fellow Christian, insist on being right. Jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? The Corinthians were getting so nasty in their bickering and their quarreling that they actually began talking, began taking each other to court over personal offenses. They wanted to be right so badly that they were willing to take their day-to-day -day problems to the secular courts just like anybody else in the world would. People knew that their neighbors called themselves Christians and that they claimed to be above such trivial fighting. By carrying the name of Jesus Christ as their own, while they were acting like squabbling children, these Christians were in fact breaking the third commandment. They were taking in vain the name that they carried because they wanted to be right. They wanted things to go their own way. They were willing to fight tooth and nail for their rights. I can just hear Paul yelling to his scribe who is, is trying to keep up writing, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated than to treat Jesus this way? If you must be right, if you must have things go your way, you are actively destroying your fellow Christians and God's church. Strategy number 10, the last one. To destroy your brother or sister in Christ, flaunt your knowledge and your Christian freedom. Did you know that Christians sometimes go to extremes? Yes, we do. 
There are Christians, sometimes called conservative Christians, who judge others as bad Christians because they're sinning by uh, drinking a cup of coffee or wearing a wedding ring or, or as in the Corinthian situation, eating meat that might have been offered to idols. Paul had lots of words for that kind of a Christian, as we've already seen in our discussion of judging. But there's an opposite extreme also. Those Christians, sometimes called liberals, who flaunt their coffee or their wedding band or their meat that has been offered to idols, are those Christians any better than those on other extremes? Well, not according to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Come down to to, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Paul, determined not to hurt anyone, would sacrifice even something he did not consider to be a problem to avoid hurting someone who would consider it to be a problem. As a pastor, I have to do this all the time. I feel this keenly. I'll do one thing in in one church or, or with one person or in one situation that I would never do in another because I know that in that situation, it could hurt somebody. Is that hypocritical? Is that compromising vital beliefs? Not in the least. Chapter 9, verses 20 to 22. To the Jews... I became like a Jew, and I'm going to skip a couple of phrases in here just to make it clear. To those under the law, I became under like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. As Christians, we do things and we do not do things with one purpose in mind. And that is to build each other up and with it, the cause of Christ. Someone here may feel that they are sometimes attacked by others for the way they live as a Christian. Those attacking you, even though they wouldn't consider it an attack, though they're wrong. But if you react to them by hurting them all the more by your actions though you might not consider yourself hurting them, then you're wrong. As Christians, we have one responsibility above all others, and that is to love each other so much that we build each other up with our humility and our flexibility and our acceptance despite our disagreements. We are not called to live in uniformity. In other words, we're not called to look the same or even believe the same. We're not called to conformity. We're not called to act the same. We are called to live in unity. The unity, despite our differences, that we have in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you for joining Pastor Jeff Scoggins today for Worship in Spirit and Truth. We would love to hear your thoughts about the program, and your financial support is also greatly appreciated so that we can continue bringing you these kinds of programs. Tell your friends they can find the program Spirit and Truth right here on this station. Stay tuned for contact information and more details from your local station to follow. Until next time, keep your mind fixed on Jesus. This is Pastor Jeff Scoggins. Thank you for listening to Spirit and Truth. Often listeners contact me or the station wanting to know how to get a copy of a specific program or more information. All of these programs are archived as podcasts, and many of them are on video as well. You can find relevant links at my website, www.scoggins.biz. You will also find books and Bible study resources there as well. So if you didn't get to hear one of these programs all the way through or missed one in a series, you can find it by visiting scoggins.biz. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S dot B-I-Z.